Are you a king, then? You say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose. To speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth... ...listens to me. <laughs> and what is truth? Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. You know, last week, Pastor Adrian uh, started a new series called All In, where we're going through our church mission statement and our church core values, and we're communicating to you guys that we as a, as a staff, as a, as a team, and as elders, we're all in, committed to our, our church mission statement and our core values, and we'd like to invite you to be all in with us. Well, last week, Adrian talked about our church mission statement, and part of it is growing in love with Christ and growing in love with all people. Well, I'll tell you what, any church with a mission statement who is all about growing in love with Christ and in love with all people has extra reason to celebrate Valentine's Day, don't you think? You know, it's our hope and our prayer that you guys don't just feel loved here at Carney E. Free, but that you know that you are. And even more importantly, we pray that you don't just think God loves you, but that you know God loves you. The creator of the universe loves you with his entire being, and he desires you to love him with your entire being. It's all about love, and that's what we as a church are committed to. So with that said, once again, happy Valentine's Day. You know, I think our church mission statement and our core values are spot on. It was an honor to be a part of the team that worked on crafting these uh, this past summer. And I think they hit the mark. You know, uh, Adrian asked me to start uh, the series on the core values, and he, asked, he said, Tim, will you, will you speak on our first core value? Truth. And I said, well, sure, but I kind of laughed at the same time because it seems like every time I'm on stage, I talk about truth. So maybe I'm getting pigeonholed as the truth pastor. I don't know. There's worse things I could be labor, labeled, that's for sure. I guess I don't mind that label. Um, with that said, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, just on this Valentine's Day, we do just want to take a moment and reflect about how you love us. Lord, in your word, in John 3, 16, you made it clear that you love the entire world. And you've demonstrated that love through Christ. Oh, Jesus, I just pray that you would help us fall deeper in love with you and deeper in love with each other. Amen. Well, let me begin today by asking you a, a simple question. Why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? You know, I've been in youth ministry for years, and I like to ask my students that question. In fact, last year I started doing some adjunct professor work at a Christian college. And I would ask my students, these college students that are uh, getting a degree on the Bible, <laughs> I'd ask them, why are you a Christian? Typically, their response was nothing but a blank stare. I'd ask again, why are you a, why are you a Christian? Again, just a look of confusion. Sometimes after a little coaxing, sometimes I'd, I'd get answers like this. Uh, why am I a Christian? Well, I guess because my mom's a Christian. My grandpa started a church back in the day, kind of family tradition. 
Sometimes I'll get the answer, uh, why am I a Christian? Because uh, I was born in America. <laughs> With that, I would respond, oh, so you're telling me that if you were born in Afghanistan, you'd be a Muslim? That blank stare comes back in a hurry. What frightens me about the state of the church today is that by and large, many of us don't really understand why we're Christians. I think that if pressed, many churchgoers today simply like the story of the gospel. Maybe it's their favorite story, but they don't really think it's true. Perhaps they like the country club environment and the atmosphere here that the church can provide or the community that they can find here. But they sure don't think Christianity is really true. Great story, though. It might be the best story out there, but it's not really true. All that supernatural stuff, that's kind of crazy. And I think this is evidenced by so many unchanged lives. We see this play out every week when we see churchgoers in the pews, or in the chairs in our case, but we see churchgoers in the church on Sunday mornings singing praise songs, opening their Bibles, and, and whispering amen to the pastor's message. But during the week, you cannot really tell a difference between the churchgoer and the atheist. In fact, it doesn't surprise me to at least sometimes see the atheist living a more moral life on Friday and Saturday nights but as soon as Sunday morning comes around, well, that churchgoer puts on his Sunday best and comes back to the good old country club. <coughs> I mean church. I'm sorry. You know, speaking of atheists, I think it's these hypocritical churchgoers who call themselves Christians, but they don't live like it during the week, who are the greatest cause of atheism in the world today. Why? do we find this problem in the modern church? I think it's because so many in the pews on Sunday mornings don't really think Christianity is really true. <laughs> I mean, sure, if you ask them, they're gonna give you the right answer. They've been conditioned to give you the Sunday school answers. But if you press them deep down, well, they've been influenced by this naturalistic worldview. This supernatural stuff can't be true. This naturalistic worldview permeates our culture today. You know, as a pastor, I believe the problem starts with pastors, at least much of the time. Now, let me be clear. We don't have this problem here with Pastor Adrian. <clears throat> Adrian knows exactly what he believes and why he believes it. And, and he's, he's willing to explain it and defend it to, to anybody. He he knows exactly what he believes and why he believes it. You know, the other day, Adrian and I were uh, discussing some deep intellectual issues over coffee, and we, we were getting into theology and philosophy and apologetics, and it just blew my mind that I could sit across from a table over a cup of coffee and have a conversation, an intellectual conversation with my pastor, and he understands the ontological argument, for, for example. Now, probably most of you have never heard that, but don't worry. Adrian understands it. <laughs> We've got a, a great pastor. He knows what he believes and why he believes it. Most pastors haven't got this training. I didn't have it several years ago. 
But you see, when pastors themselves don't really know why they believe what they say they believe, I think the people in the pews hear it loud and clear, especially the youth, especially the youth. But many times the congregation will have caught what was not intentionally meant to be taught. Here's an example. Many times pastors say things like, well, the biblical truth is that Jesus was raised in Nazareth. That's the biblical truth. Well, that's a correct statement, and the intention is good, but many times when we make statements like these, it can lead to some postmodern views sometimes. In fact, many times, I think. Uh, people will, will hear you say, oh, the biblical truth is this. Okay, then, well then you've got the biblical truth and you've also got the Islamic truth and you've got the Buddhist truth and the Hindu truth and the atheist truth and you can even have your Star Wars truth for that matter. You can have your truth and I'll have mine. Let me explain. Let me ask a question. Is it true that Luke Skywalker was raised on the planet Tatooine? Is that a true statement? Well, yes, it is a true statement. Within the Star Wars narrative, Luke Skywalker was raised on the planet Tatooine. Next question. Is it true that Jesus was born, or that Jesus was raised in Nazareth? Yes, that's a true statement also. According to the biblical narrative, Jesus was raised in Nazareth. But there's a big difference between these two, these two propositions. <laughs> They're both true within their narratives, but only one of them corresponds to reality. That is to say, only one of them is really true. It's all about truth. That's what we're after here. Truth. It raises a question. What is truth? We saw in the opening video, this is John 18, 37, and 38. In verse 38, Pilate himself asks Jesus, the most intelligent man to ever walk the earth, what is truth? I don't think he stuck around for the answer. The answer to that question is fairly simple. What is truth? Statements that correspond to reality. Statements that correspond to reality. I'll tell you what. I think we should all be all in and committed to truth for several reasons. And the first reason that we should all be all in and committed to truth is because truth corresponds to reality. And when you're committed to truth, you're also committed to reality. And when you understand reality, then you can avoid painful collisions with reality. This raises another question. Well, what's reality? What is reality? Well, the answer to that question is uncomplicated as well. Reality is the way things are. The way things are. All right, now, let me get a little philosophical with you. So, fasten your seatbelts, hold on tight. It's not going to last too long. But if reality is the way things are, think about this. The way things are is the way things are no matter what anyone thinks about it or not. The way things are, reality, is not up to human opinion. It's not up to the majority vote. The way things are is just the way things are. You don't have a say over that. And so 
when we are making truth claims regarding reality, the way things are, we're discussing something called objective truth. Objective truth. When we're talking about statements that correspond to reality. These things are true no matter what anybody thinks about it. And if you go to our website, the church's website, and you click on the first core value of truth, you're going to see a statement that says, truth is objective and it transforms lives. Now i got to tell you, I am committed to truth. I'm committed to reality. In fact, I like to say that I'm even more committed to truth than I am to Christianity. Don't let that scare you. You see, the reason why I am a hardcore Christian is because I believe that Christianity is true. That's why I'm a Christian. I believe the statement, God raised Jesus from the dead, is true. And if that statement is true, then Christianity is true, at least mere Christianity, as C.S. Lewis called it. If God raised Jesus from the dead, Christianity is true. And let me tell you, I believe that statement. I believe it's true with every fiber of my being. Now, if that statement is true, if God raised Jesus from the dead is true, it requires two essential ingredients. Number one, if God raised Jesus from the dead, God's got to exist. And number two, if God raised Jesus from the dead, the resurrection of Jesus has to be a real event in history. Now, I believe in the existence of God and in the resurrection of Jesus, but I don't believe these things just by blind faith. No, I believe and affirm these statements because of good reason and evidence. Now, I'm not going to spend time in this sermon today going through and explaining all of the evidence that we have for the belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. But if you'd like to have these conversations, please contact me. There's nothing I enjoy more than talking about these kinds of issues. And if you'd like, you can always go to my website at freethinkingministries.com and we have it on there too. But let me hammer this home. This is what I want you to take home with you today. Statements that are true correspond to reality, and reality is the way things are. Now, if churchgoers simply attend on Sunday mornings just because the gospel story makes them feel good, or merely because they like the people in their small group, or just because it's family tradition, well, if those are the only reasons you attend church and call yourself a Christian, your life is never going to be completely transformed. If people do not see that Christianity is objectively true, well, their lives rarely change. Because family tradition doesn't change a life. Tradition doesn't change anything. Truth transforms. Tradition doesn't do that. Truth transforms lives. The kind of transformation that we care about here at this church, complete life transformation only occurs when one comes to understand objective truth, when one comes to understand reality, ultimate reality, God. And think about this. Even if one kept all of the church's quote-unquote rules and they acted like the perfect Christian, maybe they even lived a life like Mother Teresa, but if they didn't believe that Christianity was really true, do they count as believers? If you don't believe that Christianity is really true, are you a believer? Isn't that what a Christian is supposed to be? A believer? 
But if you don't believe it's really true, then you're not, are you really a Christian? Because I think a Christian is a believer. You see, saving belief requires three essential components. And we can remember these three things by thinking about cats. That's right, I said cats. Uh, but this kind of cat starts with a K, all right? K-A-T, it's an acronym. And, uh, and this is what, what we mean by saving belief. Let's think about one of my favorite verses in the Bible, John 14, 6. In this verse, Jesus draws a line in the sand and gets quite intolerant. And he says, I am the only way. <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father in heaven except through me. Now, let's apply cat to this verse. The K stands for knowledge. That means, do you understand what Jesus is trying to communicate here in this statement? Do you understand that Jesus is saying, I am the only way. No one gets to heaven except through me. Do you understand what he's communicating there? If you do, if you have this understanding, then we say you possess knowledge of the statement. That's the K. That's the first letter of cat, okay? You have knowledge. Now, the A stands for assent. Last week, Pastor Adrian talked about intellectual assent. And the A merely means that you think the proposition that Jesus is communicating here is true. Do you believe what Jesus is stating when he says, I'm the only way to the Father? Do you think that's true? Now, you don't even have to believe it with 100% certainty. Just if you think it's probably true, let's say with 51% certainty, right? Do you, if you think it's probably true, then you can say that you possess assent. So, so if you understand what Jesus is communicating and you think it's true or even probably true, then you've got the K and the A of cat. But you see, that's not enough for salvation. It's not saving belief because I think this is the same kind of belief the demons have. In fact, in James 2.19, it says that the demons believe and shudder. But now we need to compare and contrast two verses. James 2.19 says that the demons believe, but John 3.16 says that whoever believes will have eternal life. So we seem to have, because obviously demons don't have eternal life with Christ, so there seems to be two different ways the word belief is being used here. And I, I think what the demons lack is the T of cat. And this is what is required for saving belief. The T stands for trust. Trust. It's faith is what it is. Faith. Are you going to step out in faith and put your trust in what you know is probably true? Are you going to step out on faith and put your trust in what you have knowledge of is probably true? You can know something is probably true. It's putting your money where your mouth is. Have you made the decision, the choice, to put your trust, also known as faith, in what you believe is probably true? It's your choice, and you are free to choose to trust Christ or not. But if you haven't, you're just in the same boat as the demons, and that's not a good boat to be in. Trust. Are you taking steps to align your life with reality, the reality that Jesus communicates. Think about this. 
try to understand this better. Every time you get, every time you board on, on, onto an airplane to get somewhere, right, you don't know with 100% certainty that that airplane is going to get you safe and sound to your destination. You don't know with 100% certainty. But you have good reason to believe it will. You have knowledge that airplanes work most of the time. <laughs> you have ascent. You think airplanes do work most of the time. And so therefore you put your trust when you step on board that airplane. You're making a choice to step onto that airplane. You're putting your money where your mouth is. And so you can't get to your destination on an airplane without cat, K-A-T, and you can't get to your final destination in heaven without cat, knowledge, assent, and trust. You know, it's been said that all dogs go to heaven, but this morning I've demonstrated that only cats go to heaven. <laughs> Gives you something to talk about over lunch. You know, with that said, I'm starting to see a lot of people in the church today, and even pastors in other churches, not this church, but I know some pastors in other churches who really struggle with that A of cat, the ascent. Sometimes, maybe not all the time, but sometimes they, they don't think it's really true. They hope it is. They don't really think it is. I've talked to these guys. They might really like the story of the gospel. They might think it's the best story out there. And they might be able to tell you what the Bible says. I know one guy that knows so many Bible verses, it's crazy. Way more Bible verses than I could ever memorize. But he doesn't really think it's true. At least some of the time. He struggles with that. And in fact, I just, you know, I know a guy that graduated from seminary graduated from seminary and his life is a moral mess out of control all over the place and I asked him do you think this is true he knows all the bible verses he knows all the right Sunday school answers and he said oh yeah it's true I'm like no do you really think God raised Jesus from the dead and has revealed himself through Jesus and that what Jesus speaks is true. Do you really think that? And after a while he said, oh, maybe I don't. Seminary graduate. Most seminaries don't teach their students. They teach them what they should believe but not why they should believe it. They don't teach why it's true. And that gets communicated to the congregation. We are not, we don't have that problem here with Adrian and, and this team. But I gotta tell you, I'm devoted, I've devoted my life to truth. And as I said earlier, I am more committed to truth than I am to Christianity. However, since I'm devoted to truth and I'm convinced that Christianity is really true, well, I'm willing to die for it. I believe Christianity is true. So much so that I am willing to die for it. And I'll tell you what. If you've found somebody that's willing to die for their faith, you've found somebody that's willing to live it out 24-7. Even when no one's watching. That's transformation. Truth transforms lives. If you want to see a transformed life, understand 
why Christianity is true. You know, the first reason that we should all be all in and committed to truth is because truth corresponds to reality, and once we understand reality, we can avoid painful collisions with reality. Well, the second reason that we should all be all in and committed to truth is because truth transforms our lives. Truth transforms. When churchgoers know what they believe and why they believe it, this radical transformation occurs like we see in Romans 12 too, when Paul says to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's why those, those of us in the leadership team at Carnegie E. Free have said this regarding our core value of truth, that it's objective and it transforms lives. That's why it is our first core value. And when the churchgoer is transformed into someone who understands reality and knows that Christianity is true, then these compartmentalized problems of the modern church come to an abrupt end. That is to say that churchgoers will do so much more than just act like a Christian on Sunday mornings and maybe some Wednesday nights, but rather they'll be completely transformed and live for Jesus Christ all the time, even when no one's watching. Now, I used a big word, com uh, compartmentalization. And basically, that's something that pastors have seen for, for quite a while. We ask the question, why is it that so many come to church on Sunday mornings and they, they act just like, the, like a great Christian and they know all the right words to say, but during the week, you can't tell a difference between their life and the non-believer. Why is that? Well, it's because so many Christians today, or churchgoers anyway, compartmentalize their lives. They've got their Sunday box, their Sunday compartment. Oh, and that's where I act like, like a Christian. Here, but then I got my Monday and Tuesday compartments. That's devoted to work or school or whatever. Then I got Wednesday. I might have a little, little shelf, a little compartment on Wednesday nights for God. But let me get back to Thursday. Uh, that's, back, that's my school and, and work box. Oh, and then Friday and Saturday, I've got that compartment over here. I'm just going to keep this back here because I don't want anybody to see my Friday and Saturday nights. Oh, but Sunday morning comes around, I got them back to my God box. See, we compartmentalize our weeks and our lives. But when you understand reality, you get rid of the boxes that don't correspond to reality. That's a complete and utter transformation every day of your week. <laughs> is devoted to Christ. There's no more compartments. Your life is devoted to reality, God. You know, another problem is that so often Christians allow their feelings to steer the ship. I talked about this several weeks ago. But we shouldn't let our feelings be the engine of our train. We need to let the facts do that, the truth. And Josh McDowell offers a great illustration here called the faith train. And he talks about how so often we let feelings be the engine. But we're supposed to have the facts, the truth, be the engine of our train. And our faith comes from the facts. And our feelings will follow, usually correctly, from the faith. And if they don't follow correctly, since we know the facts, we can take our thoughts captive our feelings captive in this sense and compare them 
to the facts. See, the fact is, the facts that you need to know is you need to know and understand the truth about why Christianity is true and why the Bible is reliable. And then you got to know what God says about you in his word. When you understand those facts, everything follows correctly. In faith, that's your free choice to put your trust in the truth and to correspond to the facts, correspond to reality. And those feelings of yours will usually follow and flow out of the faith that we have in facts. And when they don't, just like Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we can take our thoughts captive to obey Christ. You can also take your feelings captive to obey the facts. Put your trust in the truth, in your faith, in the facts. I'll tell you what, if you want to end compartmentalization that we see in the church, that's prevalent in so many churches across America today, if you want to end compartmentalization then understand exactly what you should believe and why you should believe it. And I'll tell you what, I've met so many, even in this church, that don't really understand what they should believe. I meet so many people that can't really answer the question, do we worship one God or three? Just let you know it's one. <laughs> We're monotheists. They don't understand why Christianity, they don't understand what we really should believe or why we should believe it. We don't understand why Christianity is true and why it corresponds to reality. I am committed to truth. All the pastors here are, the elders are. We're all in. And since I sincerely believe the Bible is true and all that it teaches, well, I think we should read it to see what Jesus thought and taught about truth. You know, just in the Gospel of John alone, nearly 40 times, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. And he also goes on in that Gospel to talk about truth itself. Let me share just a little bit with you. In John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus says, If you abide in my word, you, will know the, or you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And a lot of times people read this and say, oh, okay, Jesus is saying if you abide in the Bible, then you're going to know the truth and the truth will set you free. Well, yes, kind of. That's kind of what he's saying. <laughs> but the Bible wasn't put together yet when Jesus said that. In fact, John, the Gospel of John wasn't even written yet when Jesus uttered that statement. So what's Jesus really saying there? Imagine if, if he's talking to somebody face-to-face -face when he made that statement, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What Jesus is really saying there is if you abide in my teachings, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, we, we know what his teachings are in the Bible, but Jesus is specifically communicating, if you abide in my teachings, you will understand reality, and you will be set free. The truth will set you free. Because you'll be able to correspond with reality. You won't have painful collisions with reality if you listen to my teachings, if you follow my instructions. Let's go back to John 14, 6. I referenced it earlier. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus here is stating that he is the truth. What does that mean? Jesus is saying, I correspond to reality. <laughs> what, 
What I tell you corresponds to reality. And actually, if you think about Colossians 1, man, go home and read Colossians 1 and dwell on that for a while. But if you think about Colossians 1, Paul's clear that Jesus is God and then says that God created everything, that everything that exists is contingent and dependent upon God slash Jesus. So Jesus actually is ultimate reality because everything else depends on God for its existence. Everything is what Paul is communicating there. And let's go to the, the verse that we started with today in the video. John 18, 37. Jesus says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Wow. Let that sink in. The creator of the universe entered into the universe to testify to the truth. He goes on, those on the side of truth listen to my voice. Are you on the side of truth? Are you all in? I mean, I think we should all be all in. I've given you two reasons so far. Here's one more. We should all be all in and committed to truth because that's the very reason the creator of the universe entered into the universe. That's the very reason Jesus walked this earth. Jesus was committed to truth. That's a good reason for us to do the same thing. So, how should we respond to all of this? How do we respond? Well, just let me ask you a few questions. What is Jesus commanding you to obey right now? Is Jesus asking you to change part of your life, to correspond to reality, to correspond to his teachings? Where is Jesus inviting you to follow him right now? Is there a part of your life that you've compartmentalized? Is there a part of your life right now that doesn't correspond to reality? Maybe it's the part of your life that nobody else sees. <laughs> Jesus knows it. Is he asking you to get rid of that box, to get rid of that little compartment that doesn't correspond to reality? Truth only transforms lives when you believe and then act on it. You only have saving faith, not simply by believing the gospel is true, but when you choose to live by it. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but are you going to make a choice to, to try? Do you want to live according to the teachings of Christ? Are you willing to fight that battle every day? If truth is the very reason Jesus walked this earth, if we are truly Christ followers, we ought to be committed to the exact same thing. Are you all in? Are you on the side of truth? Can you imagine what this place would be like and the difference we can make here in Kearney, Nebraska and the world if we are all, all in and committed to truth? I invite you to join us. In summary, all people, 
should be committed to truth for three great reasons. Number one, truth transforms lives. Number two, we will avoid painful collisions with reality if we are committed to truth. And number three, truth is the very reason the creator of the universe entered into the universe, to testify to truth. Are you on the side of truth? Or are you on the side of lies? You know, God makes it clear. 1 Timothy 2.4 states that God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. God desires you to understand reality. And that's why Jesus entered the world. Let's get back to the original question. Why are you a Christian? I hope if somebody inquires and asks you that question, why are you a Christian? That you can respond with more than just a blank stare. When someone asks you the question, why are you a Christian? I hope you respond, I'm a Christian because I believe it's true. Pastors here, the elders here, the staff here at Carnegie Free, this team, we are all in and committed to truth. Will you join us? Those on the side of truth will follow Jesus. They will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the love that you have for us. You love us so much that you desire all of us to know truth, to come to a knowledge of the truth, as your word says. Lord, you love us so much that you don't desire anyone to experience painful collisions with reality, especially eternal collisions. <laughs> God, thank you for loving us so much. Jesus, thank you for not just creating this world, but choosing to enter into this world so that we can understand reality. Thank you for communicating truth to us. That we, if we abide in your teachings, we will know the truth. We will know reality. And we, we can do so much more than just avoid painful collisions with reality for eternity. <laughs> Lord, if we follow your teachings, we can enjoy an eternal paradise with you, a true love marriage with our creator. Lord, I pray on this Valentine's Day that we all experience that love from you the ultimate Valentine's gift on that cross. Lord, I pray that we grow in love with you every day, more and more, for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.